Callum from DraftTV.com. We have a fun show planned for you tonight. We're, we're kind of going high concept with this. This is kind of our uh, our, our Sergeant Pepper's uh, album, Shane. Uh, we're, we're going on a little bit of a limb here. We're going to do a little cross-examination of each other's uh, latest mock drafts. Uh, so basically, uh, we each looked at each other's new mock drafts, and we picked five topics apiece that, that maybe we question a pick, or we think it's a reach, or have a guy falling too far, whatever the case may be, and that person's going to be the prosecution. They're going to bring up the topic, explain why they question it, or why they may take issue with it. Then the other person's going to be able to be respond as the defense. But of course, any good courtroom needs a judge. We need our Judge Wapner. So we, we wanted to make sure to bring in the right person for this job, and we could think of nobody better than our old buddy, Pigskin Paul, who is now with GBNReport.com, uh, of course, one of the, the gold standards in, in uh, uh, old-school draft mix, and, and Paul is providing content there now. Welcome back to the Paul, show, Paul. Thanks for coming. Hey, thank you for having me. It's good to be with you guys since I couldn't be with you in Mobile this year. Well, yeah, you couldn't well, be with me. <laughs> well, it's going to be fun. Uh, and basically the way we're going to do this, uh, I'm sure you heard, Paul, is we're going to make our cases, uh, and then you're going to rule on each one of these. And you can give a little uh, short explanation for why you're ruling the way we are, and uh, we're going to keep a tally, and uh, we're going to see who wins uh, the most of these uh, ten topics here. So so let's just jump, jump right into it. I think uh, everyone will catch on pretty quickly. It's kind of harder to explain than it is to an act, I think. So, uh, Shane, I- I'm, I'll start first. I'll, with my first question, Mark, about your mock draft. And it's at the Washington Redskins at number five. And I can kind of understand and sympathize, too, because, I mean, that's kind of a wild card pick. I don't know how well the the strengths of this draft match up with the Washington Redskins' needs at number five overall. So they're kind of uh, in, in a little bit of a tricky spot there. But you had them going with an offensive tackle, in this instance, Andrus Pete uh, from Stanford. And I, I guess I kind of question both the position and even the player. Um, and and I would agree with you if there was a stud left or a stud offensive tackle in this class worthy of a top five overall pick, I think it would make more sense. I just don't know that there is that player in this class. And, and even Andrews Pete, I have him going number 10, I think, in my latest mock. And even that I thought was a little high. I think he's a little overrated. I think as teams start to study that film a little bit more on him, there's, there's no denying the potential. He's just not uh, doesn't play at a consistently high level just yet. He, he certainly has the talent to justify a top five, top 10 overall pick. I just don't think the film shows that now. And then even if the Redskins were going to take tackle five, I mean, they have Trent Williams locked into place, who's basically in the prime of his career. He's making big money. I just don't know that you're going to invest in a right tackle with that pick. And, and the money's not even a concern so much anymore because of the new rookie salary scale. But it's just 
you want to invest that early of a pick on a right tackle? So that's just kind of why I question both the position and the player. Personally, I, I think it's going to be defensive front seven. I haven't taken Danny Shelton from Washington. I wouldn't be shocked if it was maybe another pass rusher to place to replace Brian Arakpo and, and Randy Gregory of Nebraska or Shane Ray of Missouri. I kind of think they're going to go defensive front seven there, though. I think that's where kind of the needs, their needs and the value best mesh. I just don't know that I see them taking tackle, even if there was one worthy of that choice. So, so that's my, my prosecution against you. Uh, let's, let's hear uh, your rebuttal. Well, I'll, I'll get on. I'll get on defense here, and let, let me say let me say this about the Redskins pick. I, I'm, I think we both agree it's a tough pick at five to predict. And and in my mock draft, I have three defensive front seven players going off the board before they pick Leonard Williams number two, Randy Gregory number three, and Shane Ray number four. At that point, I think they're a little bit stuck for taking uh, someone else, uh, Dante Fowler or someone like that. I think will be too high, um, and so. Then I look at what what do they really need to support that quarterback position, and I think it is offensive linemen. I mean, their right tackle position stunk last year. It was it was downright horrid. Um, so if you draft someone, then you can put them in a right tackle. Trent Williams is the highest paid offensive tackle in the league, and he's on the last year of his deal. So once he's a free agent, now you've got to pay him even more in 2016. I don't think that's going to happen either. So if I'm Washington, I could sure up my right tackle position and just kind of like the Rams did last year with Greg Robinson, they put him in a different position when they needed to make that move to left tackle. That's what they were going to do. You can kind of have that plan in place. Uh, I'm not the biggest Andres Pete fan, but there's got to be some offensive tackle taken just a, a way too high. I, I think uh, Brandon Sheriff's my top offensive lineman, but uh, we've talked about on the show, I think he's going to play guard in the NFL. And I, I have to think that one offensive tackle was going to go in those top seven or eight picks. Someone's just going to reach a little bit to take who they think can become a franchise left tackle. I think the Redskins are a team that could do that. I think we've seen them make some of those type of picks before. And I think Pete is a perfect candidate to be overdrafted based on his physical tools and the potential that he has. So to me, if I'm Washington, I'm stuck with Robert Griffin. That's who we're going with. We need to support him in any way possible. I think they're firm on weapons. Then it comes to the offensive line is the best way to support him. And if you could take a, a right tackle, probably the worst single position on their team last season and have someone that can eventually be a blind blindside signal caller so you don't have to re-sign Trent Williams to a $100 million contract or whatever his kid's going to go up to, then I think that's what they will do. Well, I forgot to mention, too, Morgan Moses is also in the equation, who was their third-round pick last year, and, and that was their second pick overall since they didn't have a first-rounder. So they just made a, a pretty significant investment in Morgan Moses, not to the point where you can't consider a tackle because you invested a third-round pick on Moses, but I think that has to play in their thinking as well. I don't. I think it's probably too early to write him off. But, uh, but Paul, it's time for you to render a verdict here. You've uh, listened to both of our arguments. Uh, make your ruling and tell us why. Okay. I am going to rule by a nose in favor of Mr. Hallam's defense of his pick. I do agree that the primary need for this organization is bolstering their offensive line, and I'm not convinced Morgan Moses is is much of an answer at this stage. But by the same token, Shane, you, you barely get me on your side on this one because I think at this high of a pick, 
the teat is way too much of a reach here. If I'm going to go with that offensive tackle slash offensive lineman to bolster one of the weakest parts of their team, I think I would be tempted to possibly take Scherf because if he doesn't pan out at the tackle slot, he could be an all-pro at guard. So you're covering your butt on both ends. Or I would really reach because I love the long-term potential and the mean attitude of Eric Flowers from Miami. But I give the nod on this one to Shane. All right, Shane takes round one, but it is still early. We still have nine more cases to present. So uh, before we get into our next topic, Shane. All right, Shane. What is your first case against me? All right, well, I'm starting at the top. I, 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 I'd say let's, if we're going to have a debate, then we got, we got to have something in these quarterbacks when we go to court, and we got to talk about them. And since they're different uh, in our mock draft, and I'm starting at the top for that. Both of us have a different pick at number one overall to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the same position, but it is the quarterback position. Scott, you have Jameis Winston going above Marcus Mariota, number one overall to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I believe both of us have Jameis Winston as the better quarterback on the field. But the the more that I look at this and look at this draft, look at the situation with Tampa Bay, I, I think they're going to play it safe. I think this is a – or an organization, Lovey Smith, the head coach, with a little more power in terms of that personnel that is a little bit more risk-averse. That's what Marcus Mariota is, is a little more risk-averse with his character, with the leadership, and without those maturity questions that Jameis Winston has. Um, I know we had Charlie Campbell on the show a couple weeks ago that that if if they were going to take quarterback, he predicted Jameis Winston, but even more recently, we had Adam Schefter, uh, say that there's a sense that the Buccaneers have their sights set on on Oregon quarterback Morgan, uh, Marcus Mariota. And, um, look, I'm going to trust Adam Schefter on this one. I think uh, it's a little early, but if if I have to give a lean for that number one overall pick, I'm, I think Tampa Bay is going to take Mariota. And if it happens, I think Winston could fall a little bit to a team that – would, is willing to take those kind of risks. I don't know if it is Tennessee at number two. I think he could fall to six to the Jets, uh, someone that, that uh, I don't know if it's a good situation for him to be in, but that he could end up on a team that's willing to take those risks. I don't think Tampa is that team. I think they take Mariota. I do think they take quarterback. I think they take Mariota. Even if they have Winston rated as the better quarterback, I think they're just going to go with the safer bet, the better, uh, quote, off-field character, maturity character, and that's what the way that they're going to look. Well, as far as my rebuttal, and I'm probably shooting myself in the foot to a certain degree by starting off like this, but I I mean, I could see it being Mariota. I could. I mean, I I think everyone kind of agrees they have to take a quarterback at number one. It's just too big of an opportunity to pass up. It's just a matter of of which one. And and, and honestly, I I almost went with Mariota, too, because last year you think of who were some of the quarterbacks that the Buccaneers were really showing serious interest in. Teddy Bridgewater. Derek Carr, guys with really high intangibles. So you think, well, that would be uh, uh, in favor of Mariota in this case. But at the end of the day, I don't think there's any question that Mary, that Winston, excuse me, is the better player between the lines. And and could Winston get you fired for his for his situations off the field? Yeah, could get you fired too for for not being able to adjust to a pro game. Uh, on the field. So I, I think they both come with a, a certain set of risks. And at the end of the day, the tiebreaker for me was 
Winston's a better football player. I think they're going to feel they're going to they're going to err on the side of who's better between the lines because uh, I, I think Lovey Smith is going to feel like he can manage Winston, help him mature, and and because I, I mean if you're evaluating them as pro prospects, taking character out of the equation, I don't think there's any question Winston is the superior player and pro prospect. At least not in my mind. We can see what Paul thinks on the topic when he weighs in. But then the other factor too is how long of a leash does this Buccaneers regime have, whether it be the front office or the coaching staff. They they just fired Greg Schiano after, what, two seasons? Uh, now, mm-hmm. Bobby Smith just had a disaster of a first season. Uh, his big move, bringing in Josh McCown, was a, a colossal failure. Uh, I don't know that they have the time to wait on Mariota. Can they go through the growing pains that Mariota might require? So I tend to think they're going to go with the guy who's safer on the field, because if they don't, they might not have a job uh, in 12 months from the time they make that pick anyways. So uh, that's why I lean toward Winston there, but I could see it being going either way. Uh, so that's my rebuttal. Shane, anything to uh, to add before Paul makes a ruling? I'll, I'll, Adam Schefter told me. He told me to take Mariota. So I, think that's, I think that's enough, right? <laughs> All right, well, I got, I got okay. Team Charlie Campbell then. Uh, we'll see. Oh, okay. We'll see, but... Paul saying, okay, listen, both of you guys, here's, here's two comments for you before I render my ruling, okay? You guys are defending yourselves. Don't start your arguments by agreeing with the other guy and or <laughs> quoting Adam Schefter, okay? I need to hear why you did this. In principle, I'm giving this one to Scott, and I'm doing so because, A, I don't think Lovey Smith's going to be comfortable with a rookie starting quarterback, no matter who the heck it is, uh, unless unless Andrew Luck suddenly becomes available. Beyond that, I think Lovey's going to have a problem with that. Uh, but by the same token, and, oh, and as far as the only th- the only problem I have with the Winston pick, Scott, is that uh, the Buccaneers have a seriously bad taste in their mouths because of the Josh Freeman issues that they had off the field. They're different than what Winston has in some ways, but a lot of it is immaturity, entitlement, the same kinds of things. So I think that would scare them with Winston, but it certainly wouldn't be a scare with Mariota. It's more a question of how long before Mariota's ready, which I think both of you acknowledged. I think that I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to even this up at one apiece and go with Scott based on the fact primarily that Winston, even though he's from Alabama, he's an FSU boy, and the Buccaneers, quite frankly, need every bit of goodwill and publicity that they can get. And in Florida, where Florida State certainly has the main stage right now because Florida has gone in the dumpster and Miami's not coming back real strong, and everybody loves a winner, even if they are criminals instead of Seminoles, I say that from a PR standpoint, Winston makes a heck of a lot of sense for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So one piece, guys. All right. Before we move on, Paul, I'm interested to just get your take on the Winston versus Mariota debate. Uh, if, if you were running the Buccaneers, which way would you go? If, if I'm running the Buccaneers and that's my choice, I'm I, again, I'm going to go with Winston because I think he's going to get you more local excitement and appeal. Just on a, in a perfect world, if I'm running the Buccaneers, 
I'm listening real carefully to trade offers and thinking that maybe we don't have to move too, too far down and we can help ourselves with a couple extra picks and still get a reasonably promising quarterback out of this situation. Yeah, and they could very well end up doing that. Uh, personally, for me, that's a risky game to play. For me, oh, my picking number one, I, I'm just going to make my evaluations, figure out who I think is the best player, and take them. Because if you trade down, what if you pass out, up on a, a Hall of Fame franchise signal caller? I, I don't. It would have to really be worth my while to even take that chance. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting position the the Bucks are in, and uh, I don't think they themselves know what they're going to do yet. So uh, uh, yeah, I don't. Be, en- I don't envy them. I don't envy them. They can't fill their stadium. And there's no clear-cut slam-dunk choice here. Well, and, and this is going to be kind of a, a true test of what does the NFL, or at least the Buccaneers in particular, value more? Do they value what happens between the lines or outside the lines? And this is going to be a really good litmus test for that. All right, yes, let's move on. Yes, it is. All right, Shane, my next case against you. You have the St. Louis Rams at number 10 overall taking yet another wide receiver. And I say it like that because, I mean, no team has invested in wide receivers in the draft in recent years like the St. Louis Rams. I mean, Mar- uh, Marty Gilliard, Austin Pettis, Greg Salas, Brian Quick, Chris Givens, Stedman Bailey, Tavon I mean, need we go on? Tavon Austin was the most recent one who they actually traded up for to take in the top ten. And, and I don't necessarily disagree that wide receiver is still somewhat of a question mark for the St. Louis Rams. I just don't know if they can, as an organization, go down that road yet again and make another uh, top ten overall pick. That's a major investment in yet another wide receiver. I mean, that's basically saying you're incompetent at your job because you've been doing that every year, it seems like, and you just can't get it right. I just don't think that that regime in St. Louis can afford to break another egg on their own face when they had enough barbs coming at them from others and their jobs are already uh, 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 maybe at risk this year. So I, I just, and I don't necessarily disagree that they couldn't use another receiver. I just don't think they still have that, that true number one go-to guy, but Brian Quick was showing signs uh, uh, before his injury in uh, most of Givens, Bailey, Austin, they're still young. They have potential. I just don't know. And, and, and we've talked about this in the past, Shane, where the, the Rams are tough to figure out because they have so much talent everywhere else. They just, don't have a quarterback. That's their problem. But they've been able to use all those draft picks uh, from the Redskins trade to, to really bolster almost every position on both sides of the ball. So it's kind of tough, but I just have a hard time seeing them going a wide receiver. If for no other reason, then, uh, I mean, that, that that's just saying you're incompetent at your job and you have to keep trying because you keep failing. So I guess that's the biggest factor. And plus, I do think they do have some options out wide. I don't think that's necessarily going to be maybe not even their top priority, maybe not even their number two or number three priority. Your rebuttal? Well, first, let me say a 10. The wide receiver I'm taking is Amari Cooper out of Alabama. And I, I have him going there, which we'll discuss uh, here very soon uh, about Amari Cooper and where he kind of fits in this draft. Um, but I think you can say what you said about almost any position on this team, right? It, that corner, they, they just drafted Janoris Jenkins and Shereen Johnson. Offensive line, you have Greg Robinson was, was the top pick last year. Um, and – uh, at that 10, if you're taking an offensive tackle at 10, then you're, you should be taking a guy for that left side. Uh, they found their running back. And, and I think other than maybe linebacker and quarterback, which is by mm-hmm. far the biggest need, that's 
that's it. I mean, every other position, they've had so many darn picks because of that Robert Griffin trade. They've made picks everywhere they need to. But they don't have that true number one wide receiver. I think Tavon Austin, they've realized. Look, he's not, he's not a, an outside receiver. At, towards the end of the year, they start using him inside. They had Stedman Bailey outside. It worked a heck of a lot better uh, when they were doing that. Even without having uh, with Austin Davis and Sean Hill, a quarterback, it still worked better. I think Brian Quick started to come on, then he got hurt. He seemed like he would be a good number two. They still don't have that number one guy. And if, if uh, As you have always said, Scott, if you draft someone at the, for the top of your depth chart and move everyone down a rung, sometimes that can improve the whole depth of that position. I think this is exactly the case for the St. Louis Rams. If they have a ch- shot at Amari Cooper, who can be a, a number one wide receiver, I don't think he's, I don't think he's a, a stud A.J. Green, Julio Jones type, but I think he could be a number one wide out. And then you move Brian Quick to the number two spot, Tavon Austin to the number three spot, Stedman Bailey to the number four spot. Now you give – now you give you whoever your quarterback is, I guess Sam Bradford again, unfortunately, finally gets the shot that you have a full range of weapons. You have a brand-new running back. You have a good group of wide receivers. You have hopefully a stud left tackle. And if, if he doesn't get it done, this is your last chance. But I think their defense is great. I don't think they needed to put anything on that. And I think offensively, this is, this is the, maybe the one way that they can just make that offense better with the quarterback that they have. So that's why I'm taking Amari Cooper at 10. All right. Very, very interesting. Very interesting, guys. Um, I agree to some degree with both of you. I, I agree with Scott's concern that Les Snead and Jeff Fisher run the risk here. You didn't say it this way, Scott, but I'm going to say it this way. These guys, if they take Cooper, they run the risk of becoming the Matt Millens of this decade with with their infatuation with wide receivers. But by the same token, I agree with Shane that you get to number 10, and I think Amari Cooper is one of the elite players in this draft. When I look at the progress that he has made as a wide receiver and as a wide receiver who came to Alabama at five foot eleven and 185 pounds, and now he's over six feet tall, and he's over 200 pounds, and he can still outrun almost any cornerback that's going to try to cover him. And once he gets deep, the safeties won't be able to keep up. Um, I think that I can't argue that at number 10, you have to look at the best possible player at a position of need but I agree with Shane there, too, that where is where is the position of need other than quarterback, and you can't solve it here, most likely. So, in a very close, I see both sides of this in a very close one. I give uh, defense counsel Mr. Shane the nod here. I think Cooper would be way too good to pass up at number 10 and given that they've got a lot of talent there but still don't have a premier number one wide receiver, I'll side with Shane in defending that pick right now. Yeah, that, that was a good point, too. On uh, They run the risk of being the, the a new, a Matt Millen for a new generation. Uh, and and they've, <laughs> they've, they've invested more, actually, probably in the, in, the, in the cumulative than Millen did, probably. But, yes, uh, yes. Uh, but he but, always but, did yeah. it with the number one pick. <laughs> right, exactly. And, I, and this is kind of go, leads into our, our, our next case, too, I think, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about Amari Cooper. And I think your view probably depends upon how you view 
Amari Cooper. And, and Paul, you said you view him as a, an elite, one of the elite prospects in this draft. I think he's a notch below that, but we'll be talking about that in a second. So I guess that was good. I won that one, but it doesn't seem like this one might go too well for me. Uh, <laughs> let's let's talk about Amari Cooper. Um, and Scott, you had him going number number four overall to the Oakland Raiders, uh, which I think is the easy pick. Uh, and not not to and sometimes that that ends up being the pick. You know, I, I think sometimes I, I try to outsmart myself, but uh, in this case. Amari Cooper going four to Oakland. And when you take a receiver in the top five, I think Amari Cooper is very good. I think he has speed. He has that youth. I don't think he's even going to be 21 when he's drafted. But every, every time I watch him, he flashes a little bit, but never that consistency that I want. It's not, it's not on A.J. Green's level. It's not on Julio Jones' level. It's not on Sammy Watkins' level to me. And to take a wide receiver in the top five, I think that I need that. And I think Oakland at, at four is, is the case of where, you know, is, is Mark Cooper, should he go in the top five? And if you're Oakland, do you take him? Uh, I think they have so many needs in Oakland that they, they, they're, they're going to pass. I think they would pass on him for someone in the front seven. And I look at the rest of the top five, and I just don't think there's a spot for Amari Cooper there. I don't think Tampa Bay obviously takes him. I don't think Tennessee does. They have receivers. Jacksonville just invested a ton. In Washington, they have their weapons. Uh, I think Amari Cooper falls out of the top five. I don't think he is a top five player in this draft. Oakland's the one spot that he can go. It's where people kind of want to plug him in because they have nothing at the wide receiver position. But this is another deep wide receiver class. So I don't think he's a top five player. I don't think he's going to be a top five pick. That's why I had him falling to 10 to the Rams. And, and ultimately, I think he's a notch below those elite receivers. And I think teams, uh, including Oakland, is going to pick up on that. We've seen the Raiders go in kind of, uh, kind of different ways in, in recent years. And just sometimes not always take the guys they want. I mean, look, they, they, they probably want to take Derek Carr in, in the first round last season. The good thing they didn't. They got him in the second. That D.J. Hayden pick two years ago I think was a little bit off the wall um, and how they moved around for that. So I, I don't think I don't think Amari Cooper is going to go in the top five. Well, and for me, Amari Cooper isn't a quote-unquote elite wide receiver prospect either. I mean, he's not Kelvin Johnson. He's not A.J. Green. He's not Julio Jones. I think he's a notch below that. And and I've been saying for a while, I think there's a chance either Kevin White from West Virginia or Devontae Parker from Louisville could go ahead of Amari Cooper when all is said and done. I think that's kind of a three-horse race there, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out and and workouts, I think, are going to play a role in that. But regardless of which guy it is, I think Oakland's going wide receiver with their top pick, uh, especially if they stay where they are in the top five overall. I just don't see the value meshing with their needs. I, I mean, first of all, they need to give Derek Carr weapons. That should be priority number one. But you mentioned defensive front seven, Shane, and if they were going to go in another direction, that would probably make the most sense in terms of what figures to be on the board with a, a Gregory or a Ray or a Shelton or whoever it is, Leonard Williams, whoever it may be. But look at where they invested uh, in the recent years. Seal Moore is one of their better young players. Cleo Mack was their top pick last year. He's a, maybe the best player on their team. Uh, they invested a fourth-round pick in Justin Ellis, who played extensively as a rookie. What were their big free agent moves? They went out and they signed Lamar Woodley. They signed Justin Tuck. They signed Antonio Smith. And I'm not trying to make a case that, that those guys are world-beaters at this point in their career or that they're long-term solutions, but 
I mean, Oakland at this point, they're just kind of doing triage, especially Reggie McKenzie, who's, I mean, he's probably pretty lucky he he still has a job this year. If if it's another bad season, he might not be so fortunate another year from now. And I think when he's trying to triage this situation, saying, okay, where can I improve this team? I think he looks at the defensive line and says, okay, we got – uh, we got these guys in the front seven. I think we can get by there at least for another year. Uh, th- there's not really a guy in the secondary corner of safety that's worthy of this top five overall pick. We- we've got we addressed the offensive line last offseason. We got our quarterback. We're not taking a running back. I mean, it- it's almost a-, a wide receiver for me, not only because of the extreme need they have at the position, but almost process of elimination where you can just kind of rule out a lot of other stuff. And, uh, and 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 it just kind of settles on wide receiver in my mind. But um, I, I guess they could decide to write off one of those veterans along the D line, and that, and that might not be such a long decision for the long t- a bad decision for the long term. But um, I, I'm not so sure that Reggie McKenzie doesn't have an eye on a little bit shorter of a time span. And I think bringing in an exciting playmaker for the offense for Derek Carr to throw a bunch of passes to, I think that probably gives them the most bang for their buck at that pick, even if it is maybe a slight reach. Okay. Let me say just, just one more thing. I, I don't know if there's a process of elimination, though. I, I think this is this is arguably the, still the worst team in the NFL, and uh, I think for them it's just taking, taking the best player at this point. It's not a quarterback. All right, Paul, uh, bring it. Well, I, it, obviously, it clearly, gentlemen, we all three would agree that it it clearly depends on what's available. I mean, there is no doubt in my mind if Leonard Williams is there, they're going to go that route, which you're hinting at, Shane. But I, I would imagine that we're all in agreement that Williams is either one or two in this draft. And even though the Raiders are picking high, it's not going to be high enough to get him. I would say to you guys, uh, and I would confess, even myself, I would have to sit here for five minutes to give you a list of the four top wide receivers on the Raiders roster. It's pretty bad. So is tight end. Uh, And there certainly isn't a top ten tight end in this draft at all. Um, I think they do. I agree with contention 100%. They've got to start taking care of David Derek Carr now. Uh, see that Freudian slip? Derek Carr. Um, and even more so than the offensive line, he's got to have somebody really good to throw to. And what I would say in defense of Amari Cooper is I think when it comes to the deep ball, the bread and butter of the Oakland Raiders since the Al Davis era began is – Go deep. Go deep, go long. And that is the one thing that I have seen. I've seen Amari Cooper drop way too many balls on cross short crossing patterns. But I don't think that's where the Oakland Raiders are going to use him. I think I also think I have not seen anybody in the last three or four years of the college game that can locate, track, and cleanly catch the ball over his head and shoulder downfield like Amari Cooper did this past season. I think that kid has improved tremendously. Shane, you pointed out very early in your defense that he, you know, he has not shown the consistency since he started there, and he's only going to be 21. He just keeps getting better. I am going to say I'm going to side with the defense here 
of Scott's pick, I think Amari Cooper is a natural choice of things for the Oakland Raiders, given what they have on their roster. So I show us tied. I've decided two for each of you in the first four debates. It's, it's evened up now. The defense is, is, is 0 for 4, so we'll see if one of us can uh, uh, win a case as a defense here. Uh, and I have the next co- case on the docket. All right, Shane, your most recent mock da- draft, you have Washington nose tackle Danny Shelton falling to number 15 overall. And uh, I, I just – don't know how he could fall that far in this draft. I just think there's going to be enough teams somewhere in that top 10. He's going to come off the board. I have him going number five overall to the Washington Redskins. I think that would be a good fit for him. But even if he doesn't go there, I, I think there's a number of other potential landing spots. Um, I, I, it may, I think his Giants at nine might even be his floor. We know how much they love a, a, a good defensive lineman. Uh, but I think he's just too talented to fall that far. And it's the planet there. There's only so many guys on this planet that are that big and that athletic. Uh, and, and I think Danny Shelton falls into that category uh, of elite guys at that position, along with the Don Terry Pose, the B.J. Raji is probably a more apt comparison in terms of the type of player he is. Uh, and, and it's not like there's a lot of other options after Leonard Williams. I mean, Leonard Williams is such a great prospect. Then there's a big drop-off. I think there's an even bigger drop-off then after Shelton until you start talking about the Eddie Goldmans and the Malcolm Browns. So um, I, I think the positional value, uh, him being such a rare physical specimen, and, and really I think he's clearly one of the ten best players in this draft. So I'll be surprised if he falls all the way to 15 overall. But uh, let's hear your uh, rebuttal on that. Well, I like Dan Shelton a lot. I think he's a really good player. But every time, every time I think uh, one of these 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 kind of big nose tackle types are going to go high, they seem to just fall a little bit further than than we want to believe. Um, I, I, th- I think he's a really good player, and obviously when you when you put that size and that athletic ability together, it's great. Is he is he as, as athletic as Don Terry Poe is? I don't think that's going to come out in the combine. I think Don Terry Poe uh, really blew the world away with what he did, um, and I, I don't think Danny Shelton's going to quite match that. And now it's not like he's just going to sit there and eat a ham sandwich or anything. He's he can he can move, but he's he's not going to give you the pass rush that um, that that you want and that you take in the top top half top 10 of the draft. And when you take a defensive tackle, you're taking Leonard Williams, you're taking Gerald McCoy, you're taking Dominick and Sue. Those are the guys that go uh, really, really high. And then unless you get kind of those physical freaks like uh, Don Terry Poe or someone like B.J. Raji, who not only had a great week at the senior bowl, but have but dominated the game and uh, kind of showed this domination. Danny Shelton uh, didn't exactly do that at game time down in Mobile. That, that's, that's when, I'm, that's when I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to think a team's just gonna gonna take him extremely high and think they can plug him in because I do think a lot of the teams even the teams that um uh, that you mentioned it's not like that is the biggest need for them it's not like getting a nose tackle uh is something that they need to heavily invest in uh, I mean someone like the Giants that have Jonathan Hankins or you, who had a pretty good year last year just drafted Jay Bromley are you, you going to take another defensive tackle there um I, I think I think the Redskins I think five is too high I just don't think the Redskins are going to say hey we're going to take a nose tackle that high I, I think it's going to might be a struggle for a team to convince themselves really to take him uh, and I think San Francisco, we've just seen him continue to get steals there at 15, and that seems like a good fit to me. 
Uh, I, I just thought everyone else had a bigger need, a bigger thing to address. And Shelton, as good as he is, that nose tackle position still is not as in favor anymore as he used to be. All right, Pigskin Paul, let's hear your verdict on Danny Shelton falling to number 15. You know, guys, this one's a real tough one because I agree with some of what both of you said. Um, I think I do think Shelton is special. I'm not sure if he's totally dominant, but with half of the teams in the NFL running three, four schemes most of the time, it becomes harder and harder to find this natural nose tackle type who's got the incredible bulk that you need at the position to be outstanding. And at the same time, you have better than average athleticism at that size and that type of body. Very difficult to do. So it becomes one of those situations, in my opinion, where three, four teams have a very difficult time trying to balance the value versus the impact and the talent at that position. And so I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. By the same token, uh, I did not see Shelton dominate like I felt he could and should at the Senior Bowl, and that disappointed me. On the other hand, I think he's got better balance than a lot of the big, stout guys have. And I also have been impressed, at least in the games I've watched of the Huskies, I have been impressed with the fact that Shelton is still on the field playing most of the snaps a la Vince Wilfork in the fourth quarter, which is terribly important in the NFL as teams wear down. So I am, am I allowed to do this? I'm going to say a hung judge on this one. Ooh, okay. I'm going to give, I'm going to give you each a half. All right, hung All jury. Right. We we can deal with that. Maybe that in case yeah. that way. Maybe I'll. Uh, hopefully, we can maybe not have a tie or something. So that that will work. Uh, we got a hung jury on the case of Danny Shelton falling to number fifteen. All right, let's go into our next case. Well, the next case I'm making is against. You, Scott, for giving the Cleveland Browns an offensive tackle at 19th overall. You gave them Eric Flowers out of Miami, who I like a lot. I think he could definitely go in that top 20, but I don't think it's going to be to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, we both had the Cleveland Browns taking a wide receiver at 12th overall. I, I think someone, everyone has them taking a wide receiver with one of their two first-round picks, but it's the other one. What are they going to do? And I, I don't think offensive line is as high a priority this season for the Browns uh, than their defensive front seven. Uh, going back and, and watching their defensive front seven, it was it was downright horrendous. I think that's where they need the most work. And the offensive line, they had the injury to Alex Mack. I think that really set them back. But they, they've invested a lot of picks on that offensive line. Uh, Joe Thomas, obviously, is a stud left tackle. You have Alex Mack at center. Joe Petonio, one of the best young offensive guards in the league. And Mitchell Schwartz, I think, has done a, a fair job at right tackle. He could definitely be upgraded. But – their defensive front seven was just uh, really bad. They have, they have two big holes at the defensive end position. Inside linebacker is a giant mess. Christian Kersey couldn't really get on the field. Carlos Dansby is way aged. Uh, that, you know, that's where I have them go. And then their pass rush for the three guys they have is not very good. Uh, I think this, this team, uh, the defense is okay, 
But that defensive front seven really, really hurts. And I actually think offensive line is one of the strengths of this team. Maybe they double dip at wide receiver, um, but I, I would definitely make the argument that they go away from the offensive line. It's uh, don't, don't, don't strengthen the strength if you're the Cleveland Browns. Go, go elsewhere. Build up that defense. Build, get, get a rangy inside linebacker um, that, can, that can do a lot of different things. It will be a much better investment of their picks, and uh, that's just one position I don't see them taking in the first round. Well, and to a lesser degree, I think this is somewhat of a similar situation to the St. Louis Rams where even the Browns aren't, though they're not a very good football team in terms of wins and losses, they've got some pieces. I mean, the cupboard is not completely bare. I mean, they don't have a bunch of areas where you say, oh, they need help here, 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 here. Uh, you kind of have to look a little harder than with most teams, but I will say this, uh, the defensive front seven could be a need, but even if they lose guys like Ataba Rubin and Jabal Sheard in free agency, I think in-house options. I mean, Paul Kruger, and they, they have a former top 10 overall pick in Barkevius Mingo still on the roster, still a young guy with a lot of potential. Uh, so I, I, I wouldn't be shocked the same thing along the D-line. Even if they lose Rubin, they still have Phil Taylor, Desmond Bryant. Armani Bryant is crazy talented, before, and he was having a, a breakout season before the injury, Billy Wynn. I mean, th- they have some bodies in that defensive front seven, even if they do suffer some losses. The reason I went offensive line for the Browns there is because a, they have not been particularly happy with Mitchell Schwartz for a while now, even though he's started, I think, every game or just about every game since he's come into the league. They've been looking to do better there to the point where last year they seriously considered going with Greg Robinson. They were looking at him if he had been available at number four overall. So they've already shown some interest in an offensive lineman, this this regime in Cleveland has. And, and Mitchell Schwartz only has one year left on his contract. So if they aren't happy with him, they think they're probably going to lose him in another year. Somebody else is probably going to be willing to pay more. Uh, I think they might be looking for a replacement. Oh, and by the way, Joe Thomas is already 30 years old now. It's, it, time flies, but he's already probably getting close to the – tail end of the middle or maybe even the beginning of the end uh, in terms of his prime years so um, I I just and it's not like that oh they got to get a tackle it's a huge glaring need but I think just in terms of the value and their needs and or potential needs I think uh, an offensive lineman is going to be very much in the mix there and I think Flowers is a guy who's probably going to go somewhere in the top 20 to 25 overall so I think he'd be a good fit so that that was my reasoning there pigskin Paul time for you to weigh in and pick a winner Okay, well, I'll tell you what. I I like, once again, not that I'm surprised here, but I like some of the arguments from both of you. Obviously, I gave myself away way back a few debates ago when I mentioned how much I liked Eric Flowers and his belligerent attitude as an offensive lineman. But by the same token, I agree with the concept that even though the Browns seemed to have a good defense last year. I think they were doing a lot of it with smoke and mirrors. And I think they will lose a couple more guys. And it may not be as easy to replace them again as it was to patch something together last year. So I agree way back when Shane was commenting that, you know, he thought that the defense could use some shoring up. By the same token, I think there there were some concerns along the offensive line, although it appears to me from what I have read and heard that the new coaching staff was able to get through to Mitchell Schwartz 
with their coaching style, and his play was much better and much more consistent under the new coaching staff. So they are. I heard they are not necessarily upset with him or looking to upgrade immediately over there. And I think clearly I agree with the concept that if Alex Mack comes back and comes back healthy, which you would think he would since he's on the underside of 30, just barely, but still there, um, the offensive line is not a huge big need for these guys. I'm going to mess this thing up big time, and I'm going to call this one a tie, which gives us back to three points each for Scott and Shane. You're tied again, guys. All right. We have another hung jury. We're just so good at making our cases, Shane, he can't decide. <laughs> well, so. you, guys, you guys are renowned draft mix. I would expect you to stump <laughs> me occasionally. All right. Let's, let's try again with our next case. All right, Shane, my next case against you is you have Florida State center Cameron Irving going number 17 overall to the San Diego Chargers. And this pains me a little bit because I'm a big Cameron Irving fan. I've liked him coming into the year. I still like him, even though he uh, didn't have that great senior campaign, but I like his his uh, potential in the pivot. But 17 overall, that, that, that's pretty rich for a center. I mean, there are examples of it happening. I mean, the, the Pouncey Twins uh, certainly are a couple of recent ones, but by and large, we don't really see centers going in the middle of the first round. And, and I think Cameron Irving that has, has that type of, of talent and upside, but I think the uncertainty with him, he's so new to the position, I just don't know that a team, even San Diego, who has a huge question mark at, at the center position. I mean, there's no question about that. That was a revolving door for them this past season with all the injuries. But I just tend to think they might either wait a round or two before they go with a, a center, or maybe they could even keep Chris Watt, who they drafted in the third round last year, keep him in the pivot, and maybe look for a guard or something later. I just don't know that you can take Cameron Irving that high. Now, I, I won't rule out an offensive lineman. I think that could be in the cards. I just don't think Cameron Irving's going to go number 17 overall, even though I'm a big fan of his. Uh, and I, I'm probably one of his biggest supporters, but even I'd have a hard time swallowing that pill. So I, I just think that's my, a little bit of a reach, maybe one of the, the bigger reaches in your mock that I that I thought. Your rebuttal? I, I've learned to love Cameron Irving, too. And uh, I, I know I was I was lower on him than you were, Scott, uh, kind of in uh, early in the year. And even when he made the switch to center, uh, I was I was unsure, but – Man, he's certainly impressed me with a guy that can come in as a first-round offensive tackle, not start off great, then move to center, and be uh, almost immediately be one of the best centers in the country. Uh, I think that's huge that you have a player that can now play six different – all fought six different – I wish he could play – he could play six. He could probably play some tight end in the Patriots scheme. As Maybe for the Patriots. Uh, yeah, I was gonna, you know, he could play, play all five positions and, and pop them in as, as a sixth offensive lineman when you want to. To me, that is, that's, a, that's huge. I think that's important for a team like San Diego who's had so many injuries on the offensive line, that's had so much struggles. They had five different starting centers this season, five different starting centers. That, that to me, shows such a glaring hole. Even if, the, even if they believe that Chris Watts talented, you, you were not able to keep consistency, and I, I think he was the fourth or fifth one, so they were trying to, to toss whoever they could, 33, uh, going to be 34-year-old Nick Hardwick this season. Uh, I think it's a projected starter there. Uh, it's, it's a position that desperately needs it. And, look, if, if Chris Watts develops, 
Guess what? Cameron Irving can play guard. He could play uh, offensive tackle. I, I think that versatility is what's going to prop him up a little bit higher than, than you think, and I think San Diego would just be such an ideal fit. All right, pick well, up Paul. Let's say you. Well, first let me say to you, i got a bulletin for both of you, apparently. Uh, Nick Hardwick has retired he because retired, of a yeah. neck injury. And, and he's, he down to like he, he's down to 205 pounds. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll leave that one alone. Um, Cameron Irving really disappointed me this year in his play overall. I thought FSU did him a favor moving him to center. I think they camouflaged it well. But, gentlemen, what I think it boiled down to is a true freshman was a better left tackle than their senior All-American. And I don't think that he fits the San Diego scheme of offensive linemen. From what I have seen, and I give Cameron Irving kudos for making the switch, being the good soldier, and doing a better-than-average job at center, they improved at two positions with that switch. But San Diego traditionally, and I have not seen this change since Mike McCoy came in there, San Diego is the big hogs mauling offensive line. And I don't see that they're changing that philosophy when you look at guys like Chris Watt and DJ Fluker being the most recent additions to that offensive line. So a finesse player, which I think Irving to me, clearly is at six foot five plus and all, and under three hundred and ten pounds. Last time I checked, and we'll find out at the at the combine shortly. Uh, I don't see him fitting their style of play, and I'll go even further since I'm sitting with the robes on and sitting in the judges' chair. This is a huge reach in round one, Shane. I'm giving this one to Scott. Sorry. All right, and. Pigskin Paul has ruled on that case. We have three cases left to go. Let's go into the next one. Well, right, let's talk some wide receivers here. I think the top three wide receivers, well, we have the same Scott and in whatever order you want to put them in. Amari Cooper, number one. You have Kevin White and Devontae Parker, two and three. But that fourth wide receiver is going to be an interesting conversation as we come up into April. And you, right now you have Jalen Strong, the wide receiver out of Arizona State, as the fourth wide receiver off the board. I just don't see it. I think Jalen Strong is overrated. And one of the things that I used to I used to not do very well or I used to downplay was an ability for a wide receiver to get separation. And that's something that Jalen Strong simply does not do. And, and I've said I, I need to pay more attention to this because I think it has a big determining factor in the NFL. If Jalen Strong can't get away from Pac-12 cornerbacks, then – how is he going to do it in the NFL? And Strong's a good player. Don't get me wrong. He's got big hands. I think he's a solid top 50 pick. Take him in the second round. But he's not a number one. I don't think he's he's has Kelvin Benjamin's you know size, and uh, he doesn't have that uh, that short area quickness and that route running ability. And he gets separation that way. Every time I watch him, there's a corner uh, right on him. 
and he fights for contested balls because every ball is contested. Uh, to me, that's not worth a first-round pick. If I'm taking a wide receiver in the first round, then I'm taking a wide receiver that I think can be uh, number one on my team, that I think can be a starter on my team. And, and honestly, right now, I don't think Jalen Strong is that player. Uh, I think he's going to fall a little bit further. I think you could see some of the guys with a little more of the athletic ability for right or for wrong pass him by De- Devin Smith. Doriel Green Beckham, etc., kind of pass him by, and those guys go uh, just above Jalen Strong. I think he's uh, that receiver. Uh, we're kind of projecting late first, early second, and then maybe falls to the mid or late second, and we're kind of surprised on draft day. Well, and and I think why, that, that second tier wide receivers is still pretty unsettled. Like you mentioned, we have a clear cut top three with Cooper, White, and Parker, and, and then you can make a case for Strong being number four, Sammy Coates, Devin Smith from Ohio State. If you want more of a vertical threat, uh, of course, Doriel Green Beckham from Oklahoma is a real wild card due to his off the field concerns, but a very talented player. Um, so I'm kind of going to defend this from the standpoint of 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 the team, the fit with the team, and and I have. Jalen Strong is the fourth wide receiver off the board, but going to the Baltimore Ravens, and you, people can probably already start to connect the dots. Uh, I think there's some similarities there to, to Anquan Bolden, who also didn't have great speed to separate, but uh, got the job done between the lines. A very reliable possession receiver who Joe Flacco had a really good rapport with, and, and I think that's a dimension the Ravens are, are still missing since they parted ways with Bolden uh, in, in that salary cap maneuver. I think they need that sure-handed guy that's going to move the chains, that's going to work underneath, do the do the little things, do the dirty work. So, so that's why I went with Strong there. It's not so much that I think he's the fourth receiver, in this draft, uh, I think you can make a case for him or three or four other guys. I just think in that situation, I went with him there. Now, if I had been the Kansas City Chiefs, maybe I would have looked at a Coates or a Devin Smith, somebody who was maybe more of a downfield vertical threat because that's what the Chiefs need more so, whereas the Ravens, they already have that guy in Torrey Smith. Uh, so that's my reasoning for going Jalen Strong there for. It's not necessarily that I, I think he's the fourth best receiver. I just think he's the best fit for the Baltimore Ravens if they're going to address that position. Paul, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think you both have made very strong arguments that I do not disagree with, per se. I think that clearly there will be more than three wide receivers selected in the first round of this draft. That's going to be true of any draft in the foreseeable future. But I agree with both of you that Cooper, White, and Parker would seem to be the only sure things, I think, athletically, I would be more prone to say, since we're debating here, the fourth wide receiver off the board, if I were reaching, I might reach for a guy that I think has a little more long-range potential, and that's Sammy Coates, who I thought improved tremendously as a ball catcher from the beginning of the 2014 season until the end of the season. Or I would be fascinated with the pure athleticism and size of a Dorio, you know, Green Beckham, I think that it's a bit early, even for the Baltimore Ravens. I'm gonna, I'm this thing's gonna come down to the wire in a just by a nose. I'm gonna give the nod to Shane's argument that he doesn't deserve to go quite that high, and separation is a big deal in the NFL these days. And I'm gonna tie this thing back up at four apiece. All right, so we're all tied with two topics left to go. All right, Shane, my fifth and final case, 
and this one really pains me because I'm a huge fan of this player, but you have Miami inside linebacker Denzel Perriman going at number 21 overall in your most recent mock draft for the Cincinnati Bengals. And as much as I love Denzel Perriman, I have him in the first round of my board. I would use a first-round pick on him if I needed a middle linebacker. I just don't think that's going to be what happens when all is said and done. And we've seen so much history of this going back. E.J. Henderson, D'Amico Ryans, James Laurinaitis. It's, it's partly the positional value. Uh, teams just aren't always looking to invest. And there are exceptions. Luke Keekley is an exception, uh, C.J. Mosley, etc. But by and large, teams are, are reluctant to invest first-rounders and middle linebackers. And we see these types of guys slide a little further than they should. Guys that are outstanding football players, have, have impeccable resumes, except they're maybe two inches shorter than you'd prefer, or they run a tenth of a second slower in the 40-yard dash than you'd prefer. And, and I don't think Denzel Perriman is a candidate to really blow us away in workouts. I, I don't think he's going to come in. They list him at six feet. He's probably going to be under that. He's probably going to be 5'10 something. Uh, you know, he's not going to run a 4'5 or anything like that. So I just, as good of a football player he is as he is, I just think that during this pre-draft process, I think teams are going to find reasons not to take him in the first round. And, and they're going to regret it don't get me wrong I think he's a heck of a player like I said I think he's a first rounder I just don't think he's going 21 overall in the actual draft well look I I think he could to the Cincinnati Bengals because that is that's their biggest glaring hole uh, to me is uh I I think linebacker the linebacker position for them uh other than Vontaze Burfecht who got hurt last year and then they were really in a pinch because they didn't really have anyone. Ray Maluga has been replaceable now for a while. I think Perriman would be a perfect replacement. You could let Maluga go to the strong side and, and actually really upgrade your linebacking core. Perryman, he's, he plays so tough. I, I think teams are going to be super impressed with just his toughness of getting up to full speed, going through the line. He actually brings a little bit of pass rush ability, even not being the best athlete, because he gets that full head of steam. That you don't see the, the guys you mentioned going in the second round, uh, Laurinaitis, Daryl Washington, uh, great players, um, but players that I don't think ever had that, ever had that kind of kind of bad quality where they or you are you fear them. You know, you fear going head-to-head against them because they're going to take you down. I think Denzel Perriman has that toughness that he brings in spades. Um, I think it's, I think workouts will, will be good. I, you know, I, I, we'll see what he comes out as. I think he might do a little better than expected in terms of the, 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 the agility drills and the short-range quickness, which I think is the most important for a linebacker, especially middle linebacker, that position. Uh, so I, 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 I just love him. I think he's the type of Bengals player that they could fall in love with at a position of need where the value kind of matches up and, and everything falls into place. All right, Pigskin Paul, time to run to Roberta. Well, I'll tell you what, I am I am going to have to agree with Scott and question Denzel Perryman going 21st overall. I was skeptical, guys. I You know, I have compared him in writing. I've had the gall to compare him in writing to Ray Lewis coming out of Miami, but watching a couple of the late season, including the bowl game for Miami, and watching him trot across the stage in Mobile at five foot ten and five inches. I love the two forty two, but it's not going to be hard to dump the ball over his head in the middle of the field at the NFL level. I've got to go with Scott on this one, Shane. I if one team might do it, it could be the Bengals. I won't argue with you there, but I can't 
see with the limitations in his game, I can't see him translating as successfully at the next level as he played in college. So I got Scott up 5-4. All right. And as Pigs Again Paul mentioned, that puts me in the lead as Shane. The pressure is now on Shane as he's about to present his final case. All right, my final case comes down to the Indianapolis Colts, who did not have a first-round pick last year because they traded it for Trent Richardson. And, Scott, in your mock draft, you have them taking a running back again for the second year in a row, spending a first-round pick on a running back, this time Melvin Gordon out of Wisconsin. I don't have a problem with Melvin Gordon going in the first round. I think he's talented enough. But if I'm the Indianapolis Colts, I know it's a huge weakness for them. I cannot take another running back with my first round pick uh, this this position I think saying that it's that it's uh, right now being a little bit undervalued teams aren't taking running backs as high as true maybe not as true as as we like to make it out uh, but for the Colts they have a ton of other needs and run, the running back position in this draft in my opinion is very deep when you can get a, a Tevin Coleman in the second or third round, if they can find a three-down player, they could take a chance on Duke Johnson in the second round if they want someone electric. They can spend this first-round pick in a much better way addressing that defensive, that defensive front, addressing that defense or that offensive line in some form or fashion. I think they have a ton of glaring holes, as their last couple first-round picks have simply not worked out. Uh, I mean, Jaron Warner wasn't active. Uh, the Trent Richardson pick uh, trade was not good. Uh, we've, we've seen kind of a couple fly- in their first round the past couple years. So I think the defense still has a lot of work to do on the defensive line. They still have some work to protect Andrew Luck. And the running back, just to me, if I'm the Colts, I can't take a running back that high and take that type of chance on a running back, especially in the second or third round when there's going to be guys there that I can bring in that can start from day one, uh, especially we've seen past years. Guys like Trey Mason for St. Louis took, took him in the third round, and he's, he's their starter. You can find that running back later. Um, I, I think it'd be. I know that they've kind of said Trent Richardson's done, but I think it's too much egg in your face to just take another running back in the first and feel like that's going to really fix this team when they have so many uh, issues, especially at the line of scrimmage. Well, and, and I'm of course on the record as saying I would never invest a first round pick on a running back in this day and age, but you know who doesn't agree with me? The Indianapolis Colts, because they just spent a first-round pick to acquire Trent Richardson, and, and granted, that has been a colossal failure, but they, they, it also appears as though they're willing, they're ready to admit it was a failure be, with the way they handled his roster status late in the season. I think the writing is on the wall that, that, that he's on his way out. Certainly, Ahmad Bradshaw, he's coming off another major season in an injury. He's also a free agent. I mean, the Indianapolis Colts, they need to address that backfield. They need to get a, a better running attack to take some of that pressure off of the young signal caller, Andrew Luck. Uh, and, and not only has this current Colts regime shown a willingness to invest a first-round pick on a running back, the organization as a whole has, going back to Marshall Falk, Edger and James, Joseph Adai, uh, Donald Brown, I mean, Richardson. So, so this organization has shown a willingness to invest in that position. And, and Melvin Gordon's a pretty good value there. Even in this day and age where the running backs are an undervalued position, I, I bet most mock drafts probably don't have him falling all the way to number 29 overall. So I, I just think it's a perfect fit between value and need for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, and you can never go wrong investing in in a player that's going to help aid the 
success and development of your young franchise quarterback. So do they have other areas they could address? Sure. Uh, the Colts have, have a number of, uh, of issues on both sides of the ball, but uh, I, I would clearly argue that running back is, is one of, if not their greatest need, and Melvin Gordon's just too, pa- too good to pass up at 29. Pigskin Paul, time for your final ruling. Okay, well, guys, interesting discussion there. Uh, I think the wild card in this scenario is Ryan Grigson, the general manager of the Colts, and or Jim Ursay, the owner of the Colts. You wonder, you know, I, I'm beginning to wonder how many decisions Grigson is actually making without the puppet strings or the marionette strings from Jim Ursay sticking out of his back and the top of his head. Um, they certainly need to get a better running game going in Indianapolis. But I don't think it is essential that they have an elite running back. When you have Andrew Luck, in my opinion, you have the same situation that the Patriots have had with Tom Brady. And they just kind of shuffle veteran free agent running backs in there. They use third, fourth, fifth round picks, and they always have a stable of four or five guys. But when push comes to shove, they don't win too many games with the running game. They win it with Tom Brady. And I think the same scenario holds true for Andrew Luck. I think they could help Andrew Luck a heck of a lot more by upgrading that offensive line significantly than giving him a running back when there aren't very many holes to run through in the first place. So, gentlemen, I've accomplished nothing for you tonight because I'm going to side with Shane and say the Colts have other fish to fry. Don't blow it again. And I'm going to say Shane wins that one, which means we get to the end of an hour plus, and I've done nothing but tie you up at five, five wins each. Well, I'm not going to let you off that easily, though, Pigskin Paul, because we're not doing ties on here. So so look back at the, the, the breadth of uh, both of our arguments, all five cases. If you had to pick a winner, who, who, do you, who would you say made the, the strongest arguments overall? And we promise we won't hold it against you. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? I am going to say by a nose, I'm going to give it to Shane. Ooh. Because Scott, I think I think the Pull. fatal mistake I think the fatal mistake that you made okay. with me as the judge was way too many times you started your defense or your rebuttal agreeing with Shane to some degree. <laughs> oh. You can't do that. You can't walk into the courtroom and tell the judge that you can see why people think your client's a murderer, but <laughs> he didn't do it. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, I can't argue with you on that. I, I got to have a little bit more of that eye of the tiger, a little bit more of that killer instinct. Yeah, I, you were too, you're too kind and gentle to the little guy. Maybe it's because you're a big guy and he's so little. You know. I, I thought I had you on that last one with Melvin Gordon. You're a transplanted cheesehead from Wisconsin. Oh, I, I listen, thought Melvin well, Gordon. This is right in your wheelhorse. Well, and, I thought and I had listen, you. You're right. You're right. You hit me in the right place. But I'll say two things to you. I'm a strong believer. Melvin Gordon is going to be gone long before the Colts pick. Long before the Colts pick. This is the year that we break the two-year drought of no running backs in the first round, in my opinion. And it could be, too, because if Gurley can somehow, some way, miraculously show, like an Adrian Peterson, that he's way ahead of rehab, I think both Gurley and Gordon deserve first-round selection this year. And, guys, I'll throw this in, too. I look at this draft 
and I think in total it's very close last year's draft as far as depth and quality, but it does not have the elite guys. I'm going to tell you that I think with 32 picks in the first round, the way my board is starting to shape up, if I had to draw that imaginary line of where the absolute walk first-round talents are, I'm only going to come up with about 22 names. Yeah, and that's always kind of a common misconception out there that uh, that there's, oh, it's 32 first-round picks, so there's 32 first-round players. And I guess technically that's true, but in reality... Yeah, because we have probably, to use the picks. Right, yeah. exactly. But there probably aren't, there, there probably never are, rarely are 32 players with true first-round grades. And, and that's why you see maybe some strange stuff happen late in the first round, because there's just such a fine line between being the 30th pick and the 50th pick. And a lot of times the differentiating factor is just the, the draft order, the team needs. Uh, so yeah, it, it, that's yeah. what makes the end of the first round and beginning of the second round always so interesting. But uh, Pigskin Paul, you have served as an awesome judge. Uh, you did a great job. But before we let you go, I want to let, give you a chance to let everybody know where they can follow you and read your stuff. Well, I'll tell you what. be glad to tell you. Uh, as you mentioned at the beginning, I am proud to say that I have joined forces with Colin Lindsay at the Great Blue North. Draft Report, also GBNReport.com, is where you can find us. And Colin just had the site redesigned and relaunched. We have a few bugs to work out, but I think it's a vast improvement. And I am on board with him as the associate director and the chief scout. And I think we're having a whale of a good time. And I think his site has incredibly held up in value as one of the would you believe this is Colin's 17th year with the GBN report on the internet I, I believe it. Colin's been around as long as I can remember, and, and one of the, the, the true nice guys in the business, and, and yeah. as are you, Pigskin Paul. It's great to see you guys team up. Like you said, uh, Great Blue North Draft Report. They recently redesigned their site. It looks terrific. Uh, urge everybody to check it out at gbnreport.com. And, and why don't you give one more time both your uh, Twitter handle and Colin's new Twitter handle as well. He's actually on Twitter. <laughs> yes, that is the amazing thing. I, I, I feel like a miracle worker coming on board with Colin and he redesigns his site and he actually joins Twitter. Uh, you can find Pigskin Paul Gilmet on Twitter at Twitter slash Pigskin Paul. And Colin is there as GBN Report. So we're, we're both out there. I, I think a lot of people like you, Scott, were amazed that Colin finally gave in. Maybe Mike Mayock is next. Who knows? Maybe Mike it's, it's, Mayock it's, is the next guy on Twitter. It, after Colin got on there, I'm not ruling anything else out because I thought he was uh, right in there in the same category as Mayock where we'd never see him. So anything's possible. Yeah, well, and, and I'll tell you what, I, clearly Mayock's running out of material because from what I saw when I watched the replay, he spent the fourth quarter of the Senior Bowl singing the Yale fight song. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I tell you what, Tyler Varger, he looked pretty good, though. He, he looked better than I expected. So uh, he had a little something to talk about there. But, uh, but uh, like, like can I, I said, can I, I tell I, you a quick story about Tyler Varger? Yeah, sure. Um, I was at media night the Tuesday night, which is now the beginning of the week at Senior Bowl, and I was just getting ready to leave media night after talking to Rob Havenstein from the Badgers and Dion Barnes from Penn State and another three or four guys. And as I'm walking out, who am I walking out beside but Tyler 
Varga. And by the way, that's hard for a New Englander to say without turning an A into an R and an R into an A. Okay, that's a tough name because it's got both names end in the E-R and the A, and they contradict. And we started talking a little bit, and I told him how well he had, I thought he had done catching and blocking and everything, and blah, blah, blah. It looked like if he could keep that up, it would be a great week for him. And we talked for a minute, and he said, I, I'm sorry, I hate to be rude, but I've I've got to go. i got to get back to the hotel. Uh, I promised, I thought we'd be on the buses headed back now. It's it's 8 o'clock, and I I got an 8.05 interview with with a scout, and I don't want to be late. I'm going to walk back to the hotel. Well, it was it's not a good place to walk back to the hotel. It's too far, and it's across the interstate, and blah, blah, blah. So bottom line is, pigskin Paul played taxi, and I said, come on with me. I'm parked right out here on the ramp. And I gave Tyler Varga a ride straight back to the hotel. He's an impressive young man, both on and off the field. This kid's going to get drafted, guys. I think you know that. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and an awesome anecdote. And, and if you had given me one guess on who was going to be given rides to players back to the hotels amongst the draftnik community, I absolutely would have picked Pigskin Paul. That's classic Pigskin Paul. Uh, just, just a good all-around guy, always looking to help. Uh, Pigskin Paul, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. And, and listen, you guys have got to get to the Senior Bowl next year because, you know, I'm getting older, not younger. If you guys don't come back and join me there soon, I may not be there either. So come on back, okay? Sounds like a plan. I'm in. Yeah. All right, guys. Hey. Thanks for having right. me. Always a pleasure. You take care. All right, you too. And with that, we're going to call it a show. And as of right now, there are 81 days, 21 hours, 47 minutes, and 5 seconds left until the 2015 NFL Draft. Tick-tock.